Well, now, if I asked you to, uh, to describe yourself in three words, what would they be? No doubt the young men in the congregation, they would speak about their, about their good looks and rippling muscles. The young women in the congregation, well, they'd be far too demure to talk about their, their vital statistics, wouldn't they? Their, such a thought would be furthest from their minds. If you're a little bit older, you have to be honest. So, my three words. Short, bald, and Christian. What do you think about that? Short, bald, and Christian. Well... I have to be honest. I used to be five foot six. I'm now five foot four and a half. It'll happen to you as well. And I haven't got really very much hair. But then most of the young men, says he looking around for someone whose head is shaved and not finding them, most of the young men these days are really, oh, thank you, Michael, are, are in fashion. So maybe I'm just keeping up with the times. What about this word Christian? Well, of course you're a Christian. You're a vicar. Supposing I was to tell you that actually that has got nothing to do with it and that being very religious certainly doesn't make you a Christian. In our reading just now, you heard a very clear demonstration, a very clear illustration of what it means to be a real Christian. James the man who wrote this letter, wants us to understand what it really means to be a Christian. If you do have a Bible open, it will really help. It's on page 1214 in the church Bibles, but don't worry, if you haven't got one, I'll try and explain as simply as I can. You see, in verses 14 to 17, James paints a very, very vivid picture. Here are two people. One is well-dressed and obviously well-fed, and the other is shabbily dressed, and he's got a hungry, hollow look in his eyes. And the well-dressed man says, Oh, good morning, brother, and how are you this morning? It's a lovely morning, isn't it? I hope you have a good day. Um, make sure you have enough to eat and keep wrapped up warm, because it's September and, and the autumn's coming and, 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 and winter isn't far behind, and then he turns on his heel and walks away. Now, what kind of Christian? Is that just a hypocrite, just someone whose faith doesn't, doesn't give birth to deeds? Not only have you got to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. And Jesus said, didn't he, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So that's the first mistake that James wants to point out, it's no good just claiming to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and let you really, really do follow him. Now, the second mistake is slightly different. James points out, you see, that it's no good just believing in God as if he were some kind of intellectual proposition. In verses 18 and 19, he points out that... Um, Oh, there are very many uh, ways of believing in God, but does it make any difference? Now, the Bible is very clear 
that God and you and me are not the only spiritual beings in the universe. God created other spiritual beings. We call them generally angels. The Bible calls them ministering spirits. In other words, they are God's spiritual helpers, his, his ministering spirits, spirits who, who help him and us on the way to salvation. In um, Hebrews and chapter 2, and it's easy to find Hebrews because it's right next to James, um, or rather, right at the end of chapter 1, actually, in verse 14, it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Ministering spirits, that's spirits who decide to do what God wants them to do. Well, the Bible also says that there was a time when a group of these ministering spirits decided they weren't going to do what God wanted them to do any longer. And led by one who became God's implacable enemy, they have been in rebellion against God ever since. And that rebellion is something that you and I share. And it's the rebellion that the Lord Jesus Christ came to put right I don't know um, whether those of you who are um, visitors in the congregation have heard this. I dare say, people who come regularly to church, you've heard this illustration um, many, many times. But a famous writer called H.G. Wells wrote a letter to the Times. The correspondence was all about what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with the world? Well, there's a lot wrong with the world, isn't there? People are being slaughtered in Syria. What about that family that was, being, uh, the, 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 that was shot in the French Alps? What about all that, that dreadful cover-up about the Hillsborough disaster? There's a lot wrong with the world. What's the cause? What's wrong with the world? Well, H.G. Wells wrote a letter to the Times, and it went like this. Dear sir, what's wrong with the world? I am. Yours sincerely, H.G. Wells. In other words, the real problem's in here. The rebellion in the human heart. That's what really makes evil happen. That's why there's such agony in Syria. That's why there is such appalling um, injustice in the world. And you see, just believing that God exists isn't going to make any difference at all, is it? Of course it isn't. In any case, um, those ministering spirits I was talking about um, just a little while ago, <laughs> some of them are evil, some of them are against God, in rebellion against God. You won't find an atheist demon. Oh, certainly not. They know that God exists all right, and... It makes them sick with fear because they know he's much more powerful than they are. They know also that in the end, they're going to lose that cosmic spiritual battle which is going on between them and God. Just like the Nazis in 1945, they refuse to give in even though they know that the, law, that the war is lost. Just believing in God doesn't make you a Christian. Okay, what does make you a Christian. It's a very bad sign, you know, when the minister takes his glasses off because it means he's not going to be able to read his notes anymore. 
What is it that really makes someone a Christian? Friends, it's a relationship. Why are you here this morning? Because you've got a relationship to these two wonderful parents and these three wonderful children. You're not here because you're going to get a five-pound note on the way out, unfortunately. You're not here really because you, you know I'm a wonderful preacher and you want to hear me preaching. The reason you're here is because you share a relationship with these people. And being a Christian is about sharing a relationship with God. In James chapter 2, there are two stories told um, about something that happened a long, long time ago in Jewish history. These things would have been very familiar to the readers of, of, of James. Very, very familiar. One of them is about Abraham. Now, Abraham, you may have heard of Abraham. He was a patriarch. He was a father of nations. He goes right back thousands of years into history. Now, he had a son called Isaac. He had a number of sons, actually, but one of them was a special son, a son of promise. And God had said, through Isaac, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Isaac is your special son of promise. And one day, one day, he's up here just to make sure I behave myself, it's all right. Um, And one day, God said to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham thought, sacrifice Isaac? Isaac is the son of promise. How on earth can I sacrifice Isaac? That means all the promises that God has made will go out of the window. But nevertheless, he took Isaac up to the top of a mountain called Mount Moriah, a place some people believe now where the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem. And Isaac was bound to the altar. Can you imagine it? And Abraham lifted the knife high to kill his son. And all of a sudden, God said, stop it, stop it. I don't want it to happen. And a ram was caught by its horns in a thicket, and that was offered in sacrifice instead. And the whole exercise was about testing Abraham's faith. Do you love me enough, Abraham, to do something that makes no sense at all because I ask you to do it? Now, that's real trust, isn't it? That's a real relationship. And Rahab, the other person who's mentioned in James chapter 2, who was she? Well, she was a lady of easy, easy virtue. She was a prostitute. She lived in a city called Jericho, which the people of Israel, the people of God, were going to capture. Her, her house was part of the city wall. And she realized that the people of God were going to win this particular battle. And so when some spies came to spy out the land, instead of alerting the authorities and saying, by the way, I know where some spies are, She hid the spies, and she said to them, I want you to protect me. I know that you're going to win the battle. I want you to protect me. And when the city was finally conquered, the only bit of the wall that was left standing was Rahab's house. What's the lesson we can learn from that? Well, it's a lesson about abandoning yourself totally and trusting in God, saying saying to God, I know in the end, you're going to have the last word. And so I want to 
I want to commit myself to you totally. I want to come under your protection. I want to be on your side. It's about a relationship. But of course, relationships go wrong, don't they? And it's desperately, desperately sad when relationships do go wrong. But you see, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to mend our relationship with God. Uh, my mother and father were married for a very, very long time. Um, not always, unfortunately, very happily. And um, sometimes there was a kind of terrible cold atmosphere in, in the home in which I grew up. Do you know that experience? Have you, have you experienced that, that, that kind of thing? When, when mum is cross with dad or dad is cross with mum, it was usually mum was cross with dad because dad had done something that she didn't approve of. And she didn't have to say a word, you know. My mother could look at my father and communicate whole volumes just with a look. And he, men in the congregation, do you know what I mean? Does that ring bells? Yes, yes. A terrible cold atmosphere. Look. And it's awful, isn't it, when a relationship goes bad. Well, the relationship between God and you and me has gone bad. You know that. I know that. I, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to tell lies. I don't want to, to be a hypocrite, but I am, because I'm a human being. I make mistakes. And I, I know in my heart that that's not how God wants me to live. And you know that too, don't you? You want to be a better person. You want to be a good husband. You want to be a good mother, a good father. Of course you do. You don't want to let your family down. But so often we do. Now, what are we going to do about that? Try a bit harder? It doesn't work, does it? We need a new relationship with one another and a new relationship with God. That's what being born again is all about. Have you heard that phrase? Are you a born again Christian? People think that that means you're a bit potty. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that you've got a new relationship with God. And you know what the center of that relationship is? It's the relationship that these wonderful people have with their children. Because in the scriptures, it says that the Lord Jesus Christ came to pay the price for our sins so that we could have a father, son, daughter relationship with the living God. We can have a parent relationship with the creator of the universe. Now, Charlie and Millie and Casey have been born to Michael and Lyanne. And the way has been very hard. When I went round to see them, actually, um, there was perfect peace. I don't know what they'd done to the children. Charlie was there, smiles all over his face. Millie and Casey, they were the picture of perfect peace. But I dare say it isn't always like that. Another thing I remember from my mother is she used to say to me, little children are hard work. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, they are. I can see the rings round your eyes already. Yes. 
And that's how God feels about you and me sometimes. But he still loves us. He doesn't reject us. They'll never reject their children, will they? Because a parent loves and cares and goes on loving and caring well. Some parents don't, unfortunately. Some parents fail. And there may be people here this morning whose parents have let them down. And my heart goes out to you because whatever I say about my mother and father, they never let me down. Well, God will never let you down. Maybe you'll let him down. If you're anything like me, you will. But the Christian life is about admitting that you've failed and beginning again because there is always, always forgiveness. You want those things, don't you? Forgiveness, love, security, eternal life, self-respect. You want those things. How do you get them? Just by making a simple decision, by turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, you're the only one who can solve my problems. I've tried on my own for too long, and I've failed. You're the only one who can help me. And you know, if we say that to him, and we really mean it, he will always, always, always accept, always, always, always take us and make us what he wants us to be. But we've got to make that decision because being a Christian isn't what you look like. It isn't how tall you are, thank goodness. Otherwise, you know, Dan would be such a discouragement to me. But he's always an encouragement to me. <laughs> it's, it's not about physical things. It's not about material things. It's about heart things because it's the heart that needs to be put right. It's the heart that needs to be changed. And it can be changed by a simple act of love and acceptance. It's up to you whether you want to make it or not.